You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Aiken. And I'm Tim Warden. We have a great discussion for our last episode of 2024. Yeah, on today's show, we're going to have Dr. Yop Lomans, who uh, Tim and I have the pleasure of working with at Ignite. Um, Yop has a really vast um, and diverse background, so excited to chat with him. And um, I thought this was a really nice way to, you know, tie together the the year and and share um, some nice, I think, uh, optimistic and, and uplifting wisdom from Yop with everybody, because it's is the season right tim exactly exactly he's uh he's a great guy i would encourage everyone like if you ever have the opportunity to, to sit down and chat with you definitely take it um he's for sure been an incredible resource and mentor for us and uh just you know a little bit more about him uh he began his veterinary career as an associate and later partner in in an eight vet mixed practice in the east of the netherlands in 2001, he joined the Department of Equine Sciences at Utrecht University to lead and grow their equine clinic and to perform scientific research, which ultimately resulted in his PhD, which he'll chat a little bit about today. And then with doctors Bob Magnus and Mike Pownell, he founded Oculus Insights, which is a global, a global veterinary business education company that has grown also into coaching, consulting, and full management of veterinarians and their practices. In 2010, Yoke was asked by the management of the Department of Equine Sciences at Utrecht University to perform a fact-finding mission in China. This resulted in a long-term relationship where Yoke was designer and chief veterinarian of the first Western Equine Clinic in mainland China, and also the team veterinarian for the Jiangsu province eventing, show jumping, and dressage teams. He's also the executive director of our Ignite group, as uh, Nicole mentioned, and we're really excited to share this episode with you. Hey, Yope, it's great to finally have you on our Sport Horse podcast. It, it was difficult tracking me down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're, you're always so available to us. So um, we'll, we'll dive right in here. So in 2008, you published your thesis entitled The Equine Veterinarian, Past, Present and Prospects of a Profession, which examined the role of equine veterinarians in the industry and covers topics such as economic viability, enabling the public to understand the role of equine veterinarians and social factors. Can you elaborate on what you think are the most important messages from your work and from your research? Yes, for sure. I mean, even though it's a little while ago, um, things in our world do not really change that rapidly. Uh, I'll, I'll hope to talk a little bit more about that later. But what came out of, for me, as, as eye-openers, is that, um, it, you know, all vets are skilled in, in, in clinical work. Um, applying them to horses um, and a lot of vets become vets because they think they don't have to deal with people and I think one of the most important parts of our job is to deal with people and of course it, it's all about the horse let's let's be honest but uh, proper communication with owners um, is incredibly important and well I've been under the weather myself a little bit recently and and so I've I've also been confronted with medical professionals uh, addressing me. And when you're on the other side, um, it, it's, it's obvious how important a good communication is. But I feel that we kind of neglected that in the education of vets. Um, and that's, I, I think that's, a, that's an important part because it came back 
at all levels, not only um, at, uh, at, let's say, the grassroots uh, rider level, but also at the level of the high, the high demanding, the high end sport uh, and, and riders. And there it was even more important that um, that was also an important finding that equine vets are not always knowledgeable about what's asked from the horses in the sport. So it's, I mean, I've, I've been a rider since I was six. I, I, and I've, I've been, I've been doing all kinds of different dis disciplines. Um, but even I have to do my best to keep updated and, and, and keep at level of what's asked for the, for the, uh, from the horses and the sport is changing. Um, I mean, I remember, when I started, uh, I was very much into event eventing, and then the cross country was still part of uh, of I'm seeing uh, the uh, the steeplechase uh, was still part of the eventing, um, and I'm happy that, that that that's over and 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 done with. But at that time, you really needed to know all these different things and you know what's asked of the horse, um, and then leading them to good performance. But also, that's maybe even more important preventing them from being injured and be able to go to the next competition again. So it sounds a bit, maybe it sounds a bit awkward, but I think communication with colleagues and with customers, um, that is something that was really lacking. Um, that was, that would be my number one from, from my thesis. Um, and maybe it's a, it's a bit of an open door, but I think it's, uh, it's important that that's on the table. And I must say that from that moment on, because I was working at the university in Utrecht, we, we worked in our curriculum on communication skills from, from day one uh, with vet students. And uh, so that's a nice, you know, the circle was completely round. So I did my research and we were able to implement that in the, in the curriculum. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 well, actually, I'm quite, quite proud of it that we managed to make that full circle um, and try to uh, to add that to the curriculum and make equivalents better in communication. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's always the case that sort of the the low hanging fruit, the simple things, are always the things that have the most impact. So, I think it definitely rings true. Um, we're now fifteen years since you published your dissertation, and and since then you've worn a lot of different hats. Um, you've gotten a lot of different perspectives on the industry and on the profession, and also globally. You've been kind of all over the world, um, including spending some time in China, which hopefully we'll get to talk about a little later. So um, with all of that said, where do you see the industry in the Netherlands now? And and what are some of the key things that you would say have changed or have not changed? Well, what, what surprised me is that even in times of economic recession and or, or, or bad times like uh, the, the, when we had the corona, the sport remains incredibly important in our country. Um, I have, I have, my son is a, is a professional rider. My daughter is in law is a professional rider. They have a lot of work. Uh, there's so it's it's still happening, and I see that I see the level increasing um, of the riding. I I. What I do miss with a lot of new people in the in the industry is uh, the, the roots roots in the in the in the in the equine industry or in the in the agricultural industry. I would say so. Um, 
and, and 15 years is not so long ago, but when I worked in my first practice in the eastern part of the Netherlands in, in uh, 1988, 1989, um, most of the people riding horses had an agricultural background. They they came from farms or, uh, I mean, the, the, it was like almost everybody was riding horses and everybody knew about it. And with the big urbanization that's happening, um, and that's also, I mean, if you want to talk about China, that, that that's that's also an incredible example of where people that do not really have these roots, um, um, yeah, kind of struggle with the sport. Um, and there is, I mean, there are all kind of educational programs out there um, given by professionals, and it has become more of an, yeah. It doesn't come by nature anymore or by upbringing. It comes from books and it comes from courses. Um, and that's not only with the horse owners, but that's also with the vets. And I, I maybe that's the biggest difference that it depends a little bit on the level where you work. Um, but the lack of um, really being rooted in, in, in that industry um, and, and learning stuff from books up to um, working with high-end sport horses, that's that's a big gap to fill. Um, and that's where I see a difference from when I wrote my thesis, but also when I started as, a, as, a, as an equine vet. Um, that certainly has changed. And um, it, it also, the good part of it is that it brings stuff like science in. Uh, there's more, far more research being done recently. Um, not many things are taken for granted anymore, and I like that. But then again, you have the issue of bridging that gap between the science and practice, and how do you get people, um, you know, using new tools, for instance. Um, and that's where where things are rapidly changing. I mean, one of the biggest issues at the moment, it, it, it's, it's fading out a little bit, but a few years ago when all this new... Um, uh, machinery and methods came up for um, uh, gait analysis. Um, then I, I I do recall big discussions with older vets um, who were close to to their retirement, saying, "Well, I don't need that. I know what the lame horse is." Um, and, and these things, yeah, you you have to go with the flow in that respect. And and also as an older vet. Um, understand that technology can really make your work better. You can improve the quality of your work, but you have to be open to to these new things. And I think that's that's why we we group together with uh, uh, Ignite with with vets and trainers and riders to kind of help people understand how technology can um, can move our profession forward. And in my Let's say thirty-five years as as an equine vet. I you know, I learn every day. I I there's so many new things happening. You just have to open your eyes and open your mind uh, to make that happen. And I and that's that's so that f from my thesis to 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 today, um, I think that's a, that's a kind of in my career at least it has been a kind of m my line following new stuff and implementing that in practice. I'm, I'm not practicing anymore, at least not as I used to, but I advise a lot of young vets and 
Um, and young vets embraced technology. Uh, it was more or less hampered by the old guys um, that were kind of blocking it because maybe they saw it as a, as a kind of threat. But I think it's a great opportunity. And that, that's a big difference from, from then. And another big difference, I think, is the, the mentality of the younger generation of vets. And, and, and I see that as a positive, whereas a lot of people see it as a negative. And that is that they are able to voice their own boundaries, what they do and do not want to do, um, how they how they kind of put a boundary between their private life and a professional life. Um, and I think that's a very good thing because one of the things in my my thesis was that that was completely lost. And people um, kind of got overworked, got tired, got injured, um, lost kind of faith in themselves um, because of the constant pressure and that they could not resist. So customers asked their asked them for for their services at crazy times of the day or crazy times of the night, I should say, or in the weekends, and they. And at that time, it was not normal to say, wait a minute, uh, I'm back on Monday uh, and uh, you can bring in your horse. It's not an emergency. Um, let's look at it on Monday. And in my generation, in my time, you know, when, when a customer calls, you go, whether that's after hours or in the weekend or the night, and you never, ever questioned if it was an emergency or not. Um, and that I, I see as a, as a big uh, advantage of of the attitude of the, of the of the current current veterinarians. Interesting, interesting. And I know, like, like through Oculus, like you do some like coaching. You you help out and like assist with like some practice management, uh, consulting, and those types of aspects. And like, you have a, I guess, an, an international portfolio of veterinarians sort of around the world. Do you notice? Do you tend to notice differences between where North America is right now versus mainland Europe? on those types of topics or is it similar similar issues throughout the world i, I well i've i've worked i have worked in different countries that's for sure and i've seen differences but i've seen mainly similarities um being um the the, the passion for for horses and and the, the passion for well i i always call it the firefighter uh, uh, passion and pressure because the people are wired at least the vets that I know and it doesn't really matter where you are are wired to um, um, to go straight to problems to solve problems people call you go there you do a diagnose and um, the horse is able to work again or the colic is gone or the lameness is gone whatever um, and I see that all around the world that people really want to do that, but that's not always the best thing to do. I think what we've missed in our profession, and that's and that's globally, is that we start to think more about prevention. Or uh, after, like surgeons love to to cut and to do they love to do the surgery, the rehabilitation part is very often neglected or forgotten or 
you know, I've done my arthroscopy. Um, you know, this is the piece of bone I took out. This is the radiograph. The horse is fine again. Um, and you get a little sheet of paper that tells you uh, what you can and cannot do. And we take out the stitches then and then. And But the whole the whole process of getting the horses back on track again is very often diverted to uh, what well, can be a physiotherapist or it can be a rehab center or it can be an instructor or it can be whatever. Um, and, and what I like at the moment is that both in Europe and in America, they try to professionalize the rehabilitation. And that was about time. I mean, that, 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 that in my opinion, that took too long. Um, and then now, of course, you have the prevention part. Like, how do you, how are you involved as a vet with a healthy and sound horse? Is that just the, the vaccinations? Uh, or is, I mean, th that's, that's also something that education of veterinary veterinarians is not really doing a good business. Um, a good, the, the preparing horses for a long career um, and the role of a vet there. I, I don't say that the vet has to do it all by him or herself. What I what I would encourage people to do is to work in teams. Um, and that was the, the nice part of my work in China. I was. I was buying sport horses. I was training them. I was treating them. I was preparing them for competition. And because of the situation I was in there, I could be in charge of everything. I mean, I built horse trucks and 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 footings for 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 events. And there, because of that unique situation, you see how how many opportunities there are as a vet to get people around you or or create a team that is aiming for success. Now, if you have one rider in one stable uh, and, and uh, or you have a team with different riders and they all have different owners and that, that's difficult. In China, my big advantage was, was that it was all owned by one person and they had to obey to him, which sounds a bit hard, but it worked. Um, so for me, teaming up with others is incredibly important. Um, and that had been forgotten. And here again, you see the importance of communication skills. In this way, it's communicating with a rider, with a trainer, with a farrier. Don't forget the farrier, incredibly important. Uh, with the physiotherapists, uh, with scientists. Um, building that team, I think I see that as the future of our profession, of our sport, I should say because it doesn't only rely on our profession. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know you you mentioned a little bit about your time in China. Um, would you be able to just sort of briefly summarize a little bit about your role there and um, maybe how, you know, working in, in such a different environment and different role and different capacity and also a different part of the world maybe uh change your perspective on the on on the veterinary profession um or or anything any sort of like major things that you learned that you've you've brought back with you from that time oh and we can talk about that for ages but um i i went to china completely unprepared so um at that time i was head of the equine clinic in utrecht university 
Um, and my colleague came back from a trade mission to China. And that happens because we sell quite a lot of horses to China. And with that, we, we you know, riders go, farriers go. Um, anyhow, we, he came back and he said, well, yo, would you mind to go to China for a few weeks and go to this place where this Chinese guy has, at that moment, I think 250 horses or so. Uh, but he has health issues. He had imported, by that time, I think 50 Frisian stallions. And they had laminitis and they, they had no clue where that came from. And by the way, can you build a health system for our group? And we want to have uh, three times as many horses in a few years. So uh, help, help, help. And, um, well, I hopped on a plane and, and flew to China. And I, from day one, I was, well, the best way to describe it is I fell in love with the opportunity because um, at that moment in China, there were no, in mainland China, I'm not talking about Hong Kong, at mainland China, there were no professional equine clinics. But they imported more and more horses. Sport was growing, um, and that place where I went um, had an eventing team, a dressage team, a show jumping team, um, a show every Saturday night, um, and they wanted to expand. And um, what I saw there was imported horses from, from the Netherlands, from Germany, from Belgium, who were suffering from the heat. They were suffering from bad training. They were suffering from bad food, they were suffering from bad footage. Uh, and that was not because uh, they were bad people, but just because they had no clue how to deal with it. Um, so I, in, in two weeks time, I wrote a little plan. I talked with the vets that were working there who were, I found out later, not official vets at all. Uh, but that I, I only, you never know when you get there how that works. So after, after uh, two weeks, uh, I, I handed in my proposal to the owner um, and he said, well, I want everything done and I want you to do it. Um, and the budget is unlimited. Um, and by the way, can you start next month? So um, it was a bit overwhelming and it was a bit uh, strange for me, but it came in a good time of my career. And I thought I could make the difference there because of my background in the sports, but also I've, I've been building equine clinics before uh, for myself and at, at the university, we, we, we just before completely re-changed re or refurbished our clinic. Uh, well, long story short, I worked there for 10 years, um, educated Chinese vets, um, built a state-of-the-art equine clinic, built a feed mill, built horse trucks, stables. Um, and, and that's why I started to talk about China, because it was all integrated. And um, I mean, the other side was that I had to do a lot of things that were completely out of my comfort zone, because I've done surgery on horses. I, I, I've In Utrecht, I was responsible for obstetrics. Um, so I did cesareans in horses uh, and, and uterine torsions and stuff like that. But I'd never done a colic surgery in my life. Uh, but once that surgery is built and that building is there and a horse with colic comes in, I cannot just call a surgeon to do the surgery. We had to do it ourselves. Um, and that learned a lot about 
learned me a lot about myself. It learned me a lot about how incredibly strong horses are and how much they can endure. But it also learned me how important simple things are. Like, you know, in, in our part of the world, whether that's North America or Europe, finding good roughage for your horse, yeah, you might complain a little bit that it's too ex expensive. Or in China, it's almost impossible to find good hay. I, did, I don't know why. I mean, I, 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 of course, in the end, I did figure it out. But we had a lot of dental issues and a lot of colic because we couldn't find the right roughage. Uh, and, and, and all these little things, um, I think in the 10 years time, um, I, I, we created a, a very great team. We had a farrier shop beside our clinic or actually in the clinic. Uh, we educated a lot of farriers. We brought in farriers from Europe, from America. We brought in trainers from all over the world. We brought in vets, specialists. Um, and uh, of course, that was an incredible world to, to, uh, to live in. Really, really interesting. And, and just as you, as you highlighted all of that, like it sounds like, again, so much of it comes back to communicating knowledge, right? And like the importance of, uh, maybe if you just briefly could touch on the importance of mentorship, like you talked a little bit about how things can be different if someone grows up like in, with an agricultural background or they grow up around horses, like how important that early experience could be. Like maybe just really quickly, like the role that mentorship plays and what can we do differently to help mentor like young veterinarians or young professionals in any aspect of, of equestrian sport? Well, I my my rule has always been um, I want to educate people and make them better, a better version of myself. Uh, and that sounds easy, but a lot of people see that as, as uh, threatening. Um, so, so that's a kind of attitude you should, I think you should have as a mentor, that, that the goal should be that one day they beat you. Um, and, um, and that's for for well, for my generation, it it does not speak for itself. Let's put it that way. Um, so providing people um, the opportunity to make mistakes, and not that I, I I don't want them to make mistakes, but to feel them so comfortable that um, that they are willing and able to take on things. Um, and of course, well prepared. Hey, of the basic skills have to be have to be good. I mean, I remember me starting to teach in China, and uh, I came up with problems that need to be solved. Um, and that was a mind twist for the Chinese people because they like to learn uh, bullet points, and they like to have a structure in the way they learn, um, which I like too. But the biggest challenge is not that you can um, uh, recap it all and and duplicate it. The, the challenge is that you apply it in a, in a situation. And I think for for a good mentor, you create a safe environment, uh, and you you create a safe environment by educating them properly, educating them also for sure the basic stuff, but also give them puzzles that they have to work on. Um, provide them with like training opportunities that do not really need real horses 
I mean, you can I mean, learn them how to stitch, uh, and that 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 can be on a, on on a piece of leather. I mean, you don't need to have the animals there all the time, but there comes a time that you have to put in the stomach tube, or that you have to 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 uh, collect blood, or you have to make X-rays, or uh, on a live animal. And there, we've built a clinic in China in such a way that it was robust enough that people can, that we can. Um, comfortably uh, uh, fixate horses in a way that did not harm the horses, but for sure also didn't harm the people that were treating the horses. Um, and, and that's and that's important. So you have enough space. Um, another thing that's important is that you bring people that are skilled that help you. I mean, I I've brought in a lot of people from from Europe uh, to help educating, but not only vets also grooms or also um, uh, stable managers, stable people that we use in our cl in clinic at Utrecht University. And, and, and we had a lot of videos and stuff. And then when you create an environment where we can work on the, on the, on the, on the real horse, be, be there for them, uh, but let, let, let them take the initiative. So um, very often I didn't, you know, with surgeries, I didn't even put gloves on. I, I, I could do it, it fairly quick. I, I was scrubbed in, but I, I kept, I kept, um, I kept the distance. Um, and in a country like China, that's because of the way the hierarchy in the, in the society that, that was a bit of a challenge because you're the teacher, you should go first uh, and you should show it to your audience how, how great you are. Um, but I don't want people to watch with their hands on their back. I want people to really do stuff. And I think yeah, we, we talked about mentorship, creating trust between between you and 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 your students. Have fun together, um, and that I think that's key to to grow people because mentorship is growing people, no matter. What you're talking about, whether it's veterinary medicine or anything else, and that's uh, at Utrecht University. I created those the first uh, externships where students who were not really finished with their study, they still had to do one year. They went to practices, and I selected the practices in the country where they could go. And one of my main uh, criteria was. Are the students that are coming here allowed to do stuff um, and not just looking how this magician is doing his work as an equine vet, but also do the tricks yourself. And, and we prepared them well at university for half a year. We had a lot of horses at the university that they, they could work on. And then in practice, they should be able to do stuff. And, I, and, and that's still in the curriculum and it's still a very important part of the curriculum. Awesome. And uh, I know that you've got a, a bunch of projects on the grow, uh, on the go, Yope. You're very, bu very busy. Um, is there anything you would like to promote or share around this topic? Any, any upcoming events that you think would be valuable for the next generation of uh, professionals in our industry? Well, I think, yeah, I don't want it to sound like a commercial, but I think we have quite a good program with Ignite. Um, the first thing that's coming up in, in January is a, is a workshop on applied uh, exercise physiology. I think knowing more about 
what's what's asked from athletes, not only from riders, uh, sorry, not only from horses, but also from riders. I think it's incredibly important. So in Ocala, we will have uh, two days where we have workshops working with athletes and with horses. And we'll have a few interesting uh, experts coming in from the States and North, North, uh, North uh, and Europe, where we will talk about how to work with, with, with modern technology. So how to work with a heart rate monitor. How, how can you use blood work in training horses? And uh, the fun part of it is that we um, apply that to the riders as well. So the riders go through, you know, what happens when you get in, in your leg, uh, lactate phase? Uh, what do you feel? How are your reflexes? Uh, we will talk about core stability in the athlete, athletes, the riders themselves. And then we will do the same in the horses and hope that this relates uh, and, and that people better understand how you can use technology. Um, so that's what we do with physiotherapists, scientists, uh, veterinarians, trainers and riders. And that's what I talked about, uh, getting a team around, uh, getting a team around the team, getting a team around the rider and horse. And we do the same kind of stuff, but then uh, uh, on a different topic in April in, in Texas, where we are talking about the combination of farriers, vets, and fooding experts. Um, and for us, all these things are like so beneficial for, for, for the future of and the longevity of these athletes, connecting these people. And that's also what we hope with our group, that we connect all the different professionals that are working on horses um, and that we start to communicate and that we speak the same language um, and that we can um, we, we can do a lot for the betterment of the horses and of the riders and I think also of the image of our sport to the outside world because that's the biggest yeah, threat I would see for our industry is if we do not take proper care of our horses, if we do not, if we cannot explain to other people who do not know our industry that these horses like this and that we take good care of them and that um, that we do everything not to get injuries. And if they get injuries, we, they, they get the best treatment there is. Um, but I think that we we owe it to our ourselves and to our industry that we open the doors and explain to people what we do why we do it and um, that's the only way I think we can we can keep up because there are too many people that are um, questioning us and I don't think I don't say that they are wrong questioning it but we should have the answers um, and that's our responsibility and I think that's you know if I would the, the nice part about my thesis is that it's followed by Ithaca, who is going to do far more on social acceptance of our sport. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm proud that she's that she's doing that. And I'm I think I see that as a very important um, message also to the outside world. Like this is what we do. This is why we do it. This is how we do it. You can have a lot of questions. We have the answers. Um, and 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 try us out. But we have to be prepared. Yeah, that's uh, so fantastic. And we'll definitely make sure to provide links to all the things that you've mentioned, um, the the research, 
um, the upcoming workshop, all of that stuff will be um, in in our show notes. So anyone who's interested in, in learning more, be sure to check that out. Um, you've been so gracious um, and generous with your time today, Yope. Um, so I think it's uh, only time now that we ask you our last question that we ask all of our guests. Um, so you can impart one last <laughs> bit of wisdom for the day. Um, if you could speak directly to a horse and the horse could understand you, what would you want to tell them? Well, it's it's funny because, of course, you you let me prepare for that question, but I didn't need much time for that. I think the thing I would say to a horse is pick your rider. Um, and with that, I mean that as a horse, you do not have to accept everything from a rider or an owner. Um, there, there are there are people that take you as a horse more serious than others, um, and there are people that see you as a kind of investment or a kind of. Well, if I, you know, if I were if I were to advise a horse, I would say, well, pick your rider um, and uh, make the best of it. And and there there were very nice riders there. And uh, people, there are people that really know how to take care of you and, and do not accept it when people treat you bad uh, because you're too gracious and too nice and too beautiful as an animal to be treated badly. Um, and that's that goes a little bit back to what I feel our role is as, as vets. And, and that's something I've learned from the first day I started veterinary medicine is that as a vet, you should be the ambassador of the horse. And you should you should speak up for them if you see things happening that are absolutely not right. Um, when horses are mistreated, uh, I think you should speak up, even though the owner of that horse is your customer. It doesn't mean that you cannot speak up and educate that customer about how to treat the horse. That's a, a really nice answer. I think it's uh, the perfect answer for our last episode of 2023. Uh, with that, thank you so much, uh, Yop, for taking the time. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be talking very, very soon. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, make the best of 2024. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation with Yop. Uh, I think that regardless of your position within equestrian sports, or even if you're just a fan, I think it is really insightful to to hear about his experiences and how he sees the industry and uh, the sport, because I think ultimately he, he's right on track with a lot of it. Um, he's, a, he's a very positive guy by nature, very optimistic guy, and he sort of went through it and, and mentioned some of the opportunities that we have. And I think it, it's interesting to contrast that with, I think, like sometimes you'll hear other individuals in the sport talk about uh, some of the challenges of maybe being a veterinarian or some of the challenges that are facing, um, you know, the next generation of riders or grooms or whatever. And for sure, those challenges exist. But uh, as, as you mentioned, there are also opportunities. Uh, I think that, you know, education and mentorship and communication will go a long way to to growing the sport. So really enjoyed that perspective. And I think that there's a lot that can be taken from this, uh, from this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said earlier, what a nice way to sort of close out our year of um, sharing really, you know, interesting topics with you guys. We so appreciate your support and you listening every time I get the opportunity to meet somebody um, who says that they're a listener and then actually says something to me that shows that they listen to an episode. <laughs> 
Um, it, it really, I can't even explain how much, um, you know, we appreciate it and we really enjoy uh, making this podcast for you guys. So I just, from the bottom of my heart, this holiday season, want to say thank you. It's been a fun year of podcasting with you, Tim. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, It's been a joy. It's two years now. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to many, many more years ahead. It's crazy <laughs> how quickly the time has flown. Yeah, time does fly when you're having fun. And I am a lot of fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year. We can't wait uh, to bring you some new exciting episodes in 2024. Um, just a quick note that um, you should definitely make a, a point to hit subscribe or follow us on your podcasting app. Um, we will not be in the Horse Radio Network feed in the new year. So the best way to never miss an episode is to follow us on whatever app you listen to podcasts on. Um, so with that, that's a wrap for our last episode of 2023. You can find the links to today's guest and our show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. Uh, sporthorsepodcast.com has a new home and you can click around there and uh, check out the rest of the website for Ignite. So I really, really encourage you guys to do that. As you mentioned, we have an awesome workshop coming up in Ocala in October. And part of that event is open to the public. Um, so definitely check out the Applied Sports Physiology workup, uh, Workshop. Excuse me. Um, that'll be in um, Ocala in late January. Um, tickets are available, but they are limited, so be sure to check that out sooner than later. You can have all 20-plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy. Happy.